Good evening. Governor Cuomo resigns and the first female governor of New York State prepares to take charge. A battle over mask mandates pits the governor of Florida against the White House and the infrastructure bill passes the Senate. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. First, two Myanmar citizens were arrested on charges alleging they had conspired to oust Myanmar's ambassador to the United Nations, who opposes the military junta that seized power earlier this year by injuring or even killing him. The State Department spokesperson Ned Price says the United States won't stand for hit squads coming for opposition leaders. We are grateful that law enforcement moves swiftly to respond to the horrific alleged plot to seriously injure or kill Burma's permanent representative to the U.N., the United States stands in solidarity with Ambassador Ki Amoydan, who continues to demonstrate remarkable courage and bravery in speaking on behalf of the people of Burma, who demand a return to democracy. We are grateful this alleged plot, which was to have taken place on U.S. soil, was thwarted and that the suspected perpetrators were arrested and are now facing justice. We unequivocally condemn this threat to Ambassador Kiamotan, which fits a disturbing pattern of authoritarian leaders and their supporters reaching across the globe, including even into the United States, to persecute and repress journalists, activists, and others who dare speak or stand against them. We will not stand for efforts by authoritarian regimes and their supporters and enablers to repress people on our soil or across borders, and we will continue to coordinate with allies and partners to stand against transnational repression everywhere. State Department spokesperson Ned Price. According to court documents filed in the Westchester County seat of White Plains, uh, the federal court there, a Thailand arms dealer who sells weapons to the Myanmar military hired a pair, a pair of hitmen, to hurt the ambassador to try and force him to step down. If that didn't work, the ambassador was to be killed. Myanmar's military overthrew the country's civilian government in February. Myanmar's currently recognized UN ambassador, Kia Mo Tun, opposes the ouster of civilian leader Aung San Suu Kyi. The plot to maim or kill Tun was to be carried out in Westchester County, where the ambassador lives. And in more news from the city's northern suburbs, amid a protest led by the artist Nan Golden, activists set up cardboard tombstones this week outside the U.S. bankruptcy court in White Plains to challenge a proposed settlement in the bankruptcy trial of Purdue Pharma, the maker of the opioid painkiller OxyContin. Let me tell you something. Purdue is bankrupt, but the Sacklers are not. And they should not be granted any privileges. Speak to what it is. They are op opioid profiteers who have caused mass death, and they sit pretty in this court, and it's not right. They are getting immunity. Egregious case of misjustice. Purdue Pharma is owned by members of the vastly wealthy Sackler family who are counted among the world's most prominent arts philanthropists. Many art institutions have distanced themselves from the company because the company intentionally misled doctors about the addictive qualities of OxyContin, contributing to an opioid crisis that claims nearly 500,000 lives. A banner unfurled by the group referred to the court as morally bankrupt and the activists scattered fake prescription bottles and fake $1 bills that read Oxy instead of one and bore the phrase, the bankrupt states of America. Members of the Sackler family have not been criminally charged over sales of the drug and the immunity granted throughout the bankruptcy proceedings would block attempts at prosecuting them. 
And the superintendent of the school district in Florida's capital of Tallahassee said yesterday he'll require students to wear masks as school starts this week in the Sunshine State, defying the governor, Ron DeSantis' attempts to block schools from imposing COVID mandates. DeSantis' office responded by saying the state's Board of Education could move to withhold salaries from the superintendent or school board members. The spat comes after DeSantis rebuffed President Biden last week, who suggested he get out of the way. If you're trying to deny kids a proper in-person education, I'm going to stand in your way and I'm going to stand up for the kids in Florida. If you're trying to restrict people, impose mandates, if you're trying to ruin their jobs and their livelihoods and their small business, if you are trying to lock people down, I am standing in your way and I'm standing for the people of Florida. So why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. Today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the administration would be looking at an end run against the, uh, around the governor to provide federal funding directly to schools who impose the mask mandates. I do want to call out the courage and the boldness of a number of leaders in Florida, including in Miami-Dade County, people who are stepping up to do the right thing to protect students and keep schools safe and open. We are continuing to look for ways for the U.S. government to support districts and schools as they try to follow the science, do the right thing, and save lives. The American Rescue Plan funds that were distributed to Florida to provide assistance to schools have not yet been distributed from the state level. So the question is, why not? And those can be used to cover expenses that come up in this period of time. They're federal funds. They're under federal discretion. So they just need to be distributed to these schools. We're looking into what's possible. So in simple terms, what, is the, what do you say directly to Governor DeSantis? If you're not interested in following the public health guidelines to protect the lives of people in your state, to give parents some comfort as they're sending their kids to school, schools are opening in Florida this week, I know in many parts of Florida, then get out of the way and let public officials, let local officials do their job to keep students safe. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, DeSantis ordered the Health Department of Florida to issue an emergency rule last week saying districts must allow parents to decide whether their children will wear masks. On Monday, more than 13,600 people in Florida were hospitalized with COVID-19, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and more than 2,800 of them required intensive care. And with a robust vote after weeks of fits and starts, the Senate approved a $1 trillion infrastructure plan for states coast to coast today as a rare coalition of Democrats and Republicans joined together to overcome skeptics and deliver a cornerstone of President Joe Biden's agenda. In all, 19 Republicans joined all Democrats in voting for Senate passage. Vice President Kamala Harris, as presiding officer, announced the final tally. On this vote... The yeas are 69, the nays are 30, the bill as amended is passed. Madam President. Majority Leader, the Senate will be in order, please. And once again, congratulations to all of those who worked hard, so hard on this very significant and very important bill. And now we proceed to the second track. So Madam President, I move to proceed to calendar number 122. Senate S. Conres 14, the concurrent resolution on the budget, and I ask for the yeas and nays. Is there a sufficient second? There is. There is? 
The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Baldwin. Aye. Mr. Barrasso. Aye. Mr. Bennett. And that was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The 69 to 30 vote included even Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell. The vote also set the stage for a much more contentious fight over Biden's bigger $3.5 trillion package that's next up in the Senate. An undertaking of child care, elder care and other programs that's much more partisan and expected to draw only Democratic support. But Vice President Harris was hearing none of the shade as she reveled in the success of passing major legislation. In divided times. Our administration will work on behalf of the American people. And this has been true as we delivered historic relief through the American Rescue Plan to families and small businesses. As we continue the fight to pass legislation to protect and strengthen the sacred right to vote. And as we continue the work to strengthen our nation's care economy. And this is true today. It is an investment in the roads and bridges we drive on every day to get our kids to school. It is an investment in the public transit we rely on to get to work. It will mean people in our nation won't have to drink water from lead pipes or go to a fast food parking lot to get high-speed internet. This bill will also establish a national network of electric vehicle chargers that the president has been fighting for for a long time and build toward a national fleet of electric school buses. It provides people with what they need to get where they need to go. And that's Vice President Harris. The measure proposes nearly $550 billion in new spending over five years, in addition to current federal authorizations for public works that will reach virtually every corner of the country. A potentially historic expenditure Biden has put on par with the building of the Transcontinental Railroad and Interstate Highway System. The passage of the bill was apparently a sign of former President Donald Trump's waning influence as he made several calls to Senate supporters trying to derail the deal to no avail. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Virginia Jeffrey, one of Jeffrey Epstein's most prominent accusers, has sued Prince Andrew in New York, saying that he raped and sexually abused her when she was 17. The lawsuit raises the prospect of Prince Andrew, the second son of Queen Elizabeth II, being found liable for damages to be determined by federal court in Manhattan. Jeffrey, 38, has said in earlier legal findings that Epstein offered her to Prince Andrew for sex multiple times when she was a teenager. She repeated those accusations in the lawsuit and said that the prince had committed acts of sexual assault and battery that caused her severe and lasting harm. American law enforcement officials have vowed to bring criminal charges against anyone who helped Epstein. Prince Andrew had pledged to aid the investigation to allegations of sex trafficking by Epstein and his associates, but in March 2020, Jeffrey Berman, then the top federal prosecutor of Manhattan, said the prince had completely shut the door on voluntary cooperation. Epstein hanged himself in a federal jail in Manhattan two years ago while awaiting trial on sex trafficking and conspiracy trials charges. And on to the big news of the day, at least for New Yorkers. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation today over a barrage of sexual harassment allegations and a fall from grace a year after he was widely hailed nationally for his detailed daily briefings and leadership during the darkest days of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. We have a lot going on. I'm very worried about the Delta variant, and so should you be. But she can come up to speed quickly, and my resignation will be effective in 14 days. President Biden addressed the resignation today. Biden had called for the governor to leave his job last week after a report from the state attorney general provided evidence of at least 11 women who say they were groped and harassed sexually by the governor. But Cuomo was also an early supporter of Biden's candidacy for president. How would you assess his 10 and a half years as governor of the state? In terms of his personal behavior or what he's done as a governor? What he's done as a governor. thought he's done a hell of a job. thought he's done a hell of a job. And uh, I mean, both on everything from access to voting to infrastructure to a whole range of things. That's why it's so sad. Can you really say that he has done a quote hell of a job if he's accused of sexually harassing? No, look, you asked two different questions. They asked the substantive: should he remain as governor? Is one question. And you, women should be believed when they make accusations that are able to, on the face of them, make sense and investigate it. They're investigated and the judgment was made that what they said was correct. That's one thing. The question is, did he do a good job on infrastructure? That was the question. He did. The question was, how did he do as a governor? No, the question was, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, how was he as a governor general? Well, the governor general, obviously. Outside of his personal behavior. Outside of his personal behavior. Okay. But can you separate the two? No, I'm not. I was asked a specific question. Okay. I'm trying to answer specifically. What do you want to ask me specifically? Well, I'd like to ask you about infrastructure as well. Given that you have said this is such an urgent bill that needs to be passed, why not have the House take it up immediately for a vote? <laughs> we'll get it done. I'll get both. Thank you. And with Andrew Cuomo's resignation today, New York's lieutenant governor... Kathy Hochschild's next stop is the state capitol in Albany. Linda Perry reports. The role of lieutenant governor officially is to be experienced and prepared to step in to serve as governor should the need arise. And the need is here. Kathy Hochul, in her seventh year as lieutenant governor, now becomes the first woman to serve as governor in New York State's 233-year history. She'll hold the position until Cuomo's third four-year term ends in December of 2022. And already there's speculation over her run as governor and who else will be in the running. Hochul is 62 years old. She's from Buffalo. She's a centrist Democrat who has voted with Republicans throughout her career. Hochul is the daughter of working-class parents, the second oldest of six children. She's married to William Hochul, who served as U.S. Attorney for the Western District of New York from 2010 to 2016. They have two children. She has always championed women. Back in 2006, she established a transitional home for domestic abuse survivors with her mom and her aunt. She says she has fought hard in her career to protect the Affordable Care Act, a woman's right to choose, and the rights of our LGBTQ plus community. Hochul is known as someone who has traveled across the state visiting all 62 of New York's counties by car each year of her lieutenant governorship for countless ribbon-cutting ceremonies and civic cheerleading events, building connections with local politicians from both parties all across the state. 
As lieutenant governor, her personality seems to be the opposite of Cuomo, who has kept Hochul at a bit of a distance. Her personal warmth has been said to serve her as political fuel, an asset that's allowed her to forge deep political ties across the state while pushing the governor's message. So where did she come from politically? For 14 years, Kathy Hochul served in a Buffalo area town council. Then she was appointed to the position of Erie County Town Clerk in 2011 by then-Governor Elliot Spitzer, who also resigned as governor in scandal a year later. Then there was another scandal. This time it propelled her into Congress, where she won a special election after Republican Congress member Chris Lee, who was caught sending shirtless selfies to a woman he met through Craigslist, resigned his office. Hogel served in Congress from Buffalo from 2011 through 2013. In 2012, she lost her bid to another term despite an endorsement from the NRA. Yes, the NRA. Later, she reversed her thinking on gun regulations, but that was back then. By 14, by 2014, she ran with Andrew Cuomo and was elected lieutenant governor in 2015 and reelected four years later. Hochul will become the first governor from Buffalo since Grover Cleveland back in the late 1880s. Today, she said she's ready to lead. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Linda. And during his resignation speech, Governor Cuomo agreed sexual harassment and patriarchy are a serious problem for women in our society. It is still in many ways a man's world. It always has been. We have sexism that is culturalized and institutionalized. My daughters have more talent and natural, natural gifts than I ever had. I want to make sure that society allows them to fly as high as their wings will carry them. There should be no assumptions, no stereotypes, no limitations. I want them to know from the bottom of my heart that I never did and I never would intentionally disrespect a woman or treat any woman differently than I would want them treated. And that is the God's honest truth. Your dad made mistakes and he apologized and he learned from it. And that's what life is all about. And I know the political process is flawed and I understand There's cynicism and distrust and disappointment now. But don't give it up. Because government is still the best vehicle for making positive social change. And that was Governor Cuomo today. And Sonia Osario is head of the National Organization for Women in New York City. She says Cuomo's resignation was a good move for women. It's what he needed to do. It's a relief that he resigned today so that we can move forward with getting back on track and focusing on government and serving the people of New York. How about his replacement, Kathy Hoekstool? I think she's going to make an excellent governor. I've had the pleasure of working with her over the years. She is someone who is very hardworking, who studies the issues very well. More importantly, she knows how to negotiate. She knows how to treat people right. She comes to the table to collaborate. She has spent a lot of time in the background all over the state meeting New Yorkers, understanding their lives and their problems. She's going to hit the ground running. She is prepared. You've got to remember, she's been 
in politics, in government for a long time. She got there the honest way that makes the best public servants from winning a small election in her hometown where she was a, a local elected, has worked now in state government for many years, and obviously represented us in Congress. She had a district where she really had to listen to everybody, people from different backgrounds, with different political philosophies, some who were more conservative and others who were more progressive. And that is a skill that we can certainly use, not only in New York, but in this country. What is uh, he referring to when he says it's still a man's world in New York? Women still don't have a level playing field. <laughs> he may not be the best ambassador to opine on institutionalized sexism at this moment. I believe that that's what he meant. He showed all those pictures that showed him kissing and his claim was it was more like a, a cultural thing, like he was an old European type guy who kissed people on the cheeks. Is this because there's a difference in the culture between the two? They're just two different things. A lot of people are affectionate and a lot of cultures kiss on the cheeks. But that's not what we're talking about here. What was claimed and what was cooperated was highly inappropriate comments, talking to people that you work with about their sex life, and touching. So those are very different things than being gregarious and affectionate in general. How do you know the difference? Well, when someone's touching your breasts, <laughs> that's when you know. Uh, when someone's running their finger down your back, we all understand that. And I think it's interesting how a lot of particularly older men try to make an excuse that, oh, it's generational. But you know what? Women of every generation know sexual harassment when they see it and when they experience it. There's nothing artful in sexually harassing someone while they're at work. From a woman's perspective, why does this crazy kind of behavior? Men feel entitled, or plenty of men just feel entitled to do it. That's just the way it has been. It could be deeper, a sense of power, a sense of control, an enjoyment in seeing a woman squirm and seeing her uncomfortable. It runs the gamut. It could be all of those things at once. But what everyone needs to understand is that the world has changed. You're just not going to get away with it, most likely. And it's not worth it because you will lose your job or your reputation or your opportunities moving forward. And I hear a lot of men say, gosh, I don't even know how to act around women anymore. I don't know if I can even tell them that they look nice in that dress. Well, if you're just not sure, just don't say it. It's not that important, is it? Just use your common sense. We all have to pay attention to what's happening around us. Change accordingly. I mean, there is, there's no doubt about it. Seismic shift in both laws and in cultural norms of what's tolerable, what's acceptable in the workplace, in terms of relationships between men and women. New York State is one of the strictest states on these kind of things. It's, it's Maybe it was predictable, but you would think that they would know better considering they spent so many years developing so many rules and regulations. Clearly, there's a disconnect <laughs> here, and it's got to change in New York. Governor Cuomo is only the latest, only the latest powerful male figure in government who has self-destructed. And Easy. now the result will be, instead of three men in a room, we are going to have two women 
and one man in the room. It'll be very interesting. Sonia Osario is head of the National Organization for Women in New York City. Three men in a room was the old uh, coalition that decided what would happen in uh, New York state politics in Albany. The uh, whoever was head of the Senate, who was head of the assembly and the governor together pretty much decided what got voted on in the legislature. And now two of those people will be women. And finally, Members of the Assembly Committee leading the impeachment investigation into Governor Andrew Cuomo say that there is still interest in pursuing a probe despite Cuomo's resignation. Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh, who is part of the Assembly impeachment team, said, I want to keep going because there are too many outstanding issues that I think we need to provide some closure for the public. The Assembly Judiciary Committee is investigating not only the sexual harassment allegations against Cuomo, but also whether his administration covered up COVID-19 nursing home deaths, if Cuomo used state resources to help him write his pandemic book, and if his office intimidated witnesses from coming forward and more. Assemblyman Charles Levine, who chairs the committee, said impeachment itself may be moot, but there would be the opportunity in the court of impeachment to prohibit him from ever again occupying a state office. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.